0: Everyone and welcome back to another Bulletproof Hygiene podcast. I am excited to say that this is our seventieth episode. So thank you for joining us. We're really excited about it, and we have something super special for the seventieth. Of course, we have kept a really great secret for a while now, and I can't believe we have not shared her sooner. But we are welcoming Erica Pasillo to our show today. Hi, thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Um, Erica is actually a huge part of our Bulletproof team. She leads the team tracks at our summit and the team mastermind. She is the practice director at Spodak Dental Group. And I am so inspired by Erica's story and her passion for what she does. And I just, this is going to be a wealth of knowledge and information. So I'm so glad you guys are joining us today. But Erica really does have this extraordinary inspirational story of her journey to becoming the practice director. And I think it's really impactful and inspirational for any listener, whether you're in dentistry or not. But for those of us who really understand the intricacies of the dental world and the different roles within the practice, it's especially encouraging and insightful. And I've had the opportunity to speak with many hygienists throughout my career. And I often hear that so many hygienists feel handcuffed within their practices. They feel like they don't have the authority or autonomy to practice at their full potential. And it's a really frustrating place to be. And I love your story, Erica, because you broke through so many barriers to get where you are today. So without further ado, I want to welcome Erica Casillo, and would you please share all your gems and journey and story with us? Yes, absolutely,
1: and thanks for that introduction. You know, we talk about journeys and stories. We all have one, and it's not something that many of us publicly share, and I think that one of the reasons why I decided to share my story, my journey, is that I wanted to relate more to people when I speak or when we do casts or when we do, um, you know, some of the tracks at the summits, because so often when I have been that person in CE courses and I see the speaker, I kind of assume that this person like has it put together, that their life is amazing. Their practice is perfect. It's utopia and life is amazing. Like birds are like coming around and fixing their hair and like awesomeness, red carpets rolled out. And um it's just not reality and especially even for the speakers that we see they we're only seeing the the apex you know we're seeing them standing on the summit and we don't see how hard the climb was and the setbacks and the failures and um what it was to struggle and then overcome to get to where they are and i wanted to tell that story because i don't want anyone to believe that what their past was is or or is currently is an indicator of what their future has to be um you know and I think that a lot of times we struggle with this belief of I'm not worthy because of x y and z because of my family because of my history um and I struggled with that too not feeling worthy not feeling um you know what is What is my like kind of street cred, you know, for being able to share and to speak to other people um, when I don't have a formal degree or, you know, when I'm not a doctor and, you know, I'm not a formally trained consultant or speaker, you know, what is my authority, my validity in doing that? And so that's why I shared that story. And so I started out in dentistry 13 years ago and I went to a dental assisting school. I did not choose dentistry. It, it chose me. My mom is uh, in dentistry. She started out as a dental assistant. Um, you know, very early on in my career, my family um, they they got a divorce, and it was during a transitional time for me. with in middle school, um, and that's hard because I'm kind of like finding my way as a human being, and then to experience. traumas of that divorce and then the uncertainty in the home um you know financially there were a lot of struggles and you know and then kind of having something that was so consistent and known and having that shattered at that young age and also dealing with the awkwardness like um thank god there was no social media at that time but yeah you know bullying and people that you know i have got curly hair, which I love now, but you know what? It was a frizzy mess. Like I used to brush this out. Okay. Before I knew how to take care of this in middle school. So you can imagine taking this hair and brushing it, um, how that would look. It's, it was not good. Like I was not the popular kid by any way, like mean, shape and form. I'm also an introvert, like just naturally. So I, I love to observe more than I like to participate. So I like to be around people, but I like to be the one like watching you guys hang out, right? The creepy one that's like, you know, watching the reality TV show. That's me, I like to listen. And so you can imagine, yes, creepy hair in my face over here, like observing what everybody else is doing. Um, not a fun time. but. Um, you know, so I had those insecurities, I had, um, you know, those self limiting beliefs. And, you know, I came from a family that really struggled financially, even um, all throughout it, my dad worked seven days a week. Uh, My mom was a stay at home mom, because it was more expensive to have three kids in daycare than what she was bringing home as a waitress at the time. So my parents got divorced. She then um, went back to school, she went to dental assisting school. And at nighttime, she worked at Publix in the deli. So I didn't see much of my mom during that time when she was trying to build her career. And what I didn't realize at at that time, um, you know, when you're a kid, you look to your parents as as that model. Like they are the people that are teaching you how to do life. And, you know, yes, it was uncertain. It was hard and it was troubling for me. But what I was also observing and witnessing throughout that was just the strength that that my mom had. looking back at it and saying well she decided to go to school at that age you know yeah it was in her her mid-30s at that time go back to school because she wanted to have a career Um, and then to say she had three kids we all primarily lived with her going to school she'd come home we'd see her for just very, you know, an hour or so. And then she would go and she'd work in the deli and repeat, you know, and she wouldn't get right. home 11 30 or any bed. And the sacrifices she had to make to be able to better provide for us is, I think, part of some of the drive that that I had to overcome some of those challenges, you know, that um that I've had to face. And so yeah. I, I'm grateful for those experiences. I, I'm definitely a little bit more on the optimist side where Yes, you know I I have those challenges, and in the moments like you know I'm crying, I'm upset, and the challenge I'm at and and whatever it is, but I try to look back and say what are these lessons that I've learned, and that was definitely a key one. Um, And so some of my advice, like if you've had that that troubling past or childhood, take a moment and think about what what came of that. Was there any lesson at least that was learned, or or positivity that, and maybe it was hey. had this past and the lesson was don't follow in those footsteps and that encouraged you to take a different path and so it's just the healing is in the acceptance of what happened happened we can't change it but what can we do with that information and experience to propel us forward and so um I went to Florida State University it was the first person in my family to go to college no one really knew how to to do it in the processes I just kind of figured it out and um, you know, it got really tough. Again, I had to support myself. They didn't have the, the money to send me there. I had to get scholarships. Uh, I had a job, you know, and then I had school. And, um, and then I started getting in my own head, you know, um, can I handle this? Is this for me? I, um, I felt like at that time, I didn't have anybody to talk to that, that knew what I was going through. Um, And so I kept it inside instead of talking it through. I decided to withdraw from school. So I did not graduate from Florida State University Um, for a really long time. I felt um, like a failure. I felt, again, the the unworthiness conversation, um, you know, not good enough. All those things that come along with, hey, all these other people were able to make it and I wasn't.
0: Right. Um, I I just want to point out really quick that I'm assuming that all of that was in your own head. That was not coming from any external place, right? That was that was kind of the reel that was playing in your mind. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, partly, it was partly. And, and you know, I don't, I haven't shared this part actually. So yes, you know, I'm going to share. Um, yeah, a lot of it was in my head. However, um, my mom and dad, and again, during that time when I was in college, even though they've been divorced for many years they still did not have a good relationship. Right. And, um, you know, and a lot of times it was a conflict between what one parent believed was best and the other saying, well, this is the opposite. Um, and my mom would call me and, and tell me about those conversations for whatever reason she thought would be a good idea, um, not realizing some of the damage that would come because of it, or at least- it. took it. Okay. And so she would tell me things that my dad was saying, you know, about me, like- you know, I don't have any common sense or, you know, I never should have gone to a four-year you know, university. See, here's the tears coming out.
0: Um, so that's interesting because that was almost compounding what what you had going on in your head on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It was, it was almost like validation. Yeah.
1: So when someone that's that close to you is basically validating that negative self-talk in your head, Yeah. Almost then say it is me.
0: Yeah. It makes it more believable. Yeah. Even though it's not the truth. It, yeah. It, it almost solidifies that.
1: Absolutely. And so, um, yeah, that, it, that's, that's a hard space, but, um, so yeah, went, went through that. Um, and you know, I, so withdrew from school, um, moved back home. And my mom was like, Hey, um, you know, dentistry is a great career path. Um, my mom opened her own dental assisting school a few years back and she was a dental assistant, became a dental office manager, opened up her own dental assisting school. And she said, to, you know, why don't you do that? And then go on to dental hygiene school. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. It was a Saturday eight week course when, you know, Saturday a month, uh, or I'm sorry, um, every Saturday, um, for a couple months. And so I did it and, you know, it wasn't something that I was like, oh, like, love it at first. Um, And I applied to, I was getting ready to apply to dental uh, hygiene school at Palm Beach State and uh, found out that I was pregnant um, with my now husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. And uh, and that was 11 years ago. Um, So... hygiene school kind of if i'm not if i'm not going to do it all out i'm not going to do it at all and there's a pro and a con to that right like i i'm a perfectionist too so i'm like i'm not going to even start if i can't do it well um so i stuck with it with the dental assisting and i didn't realize how much i would love it until i actually got into to doing that um so i started at my practice it was the first sterilization assistant that we had uh i did sterilization for a couple of weeks um i also came from a family that really had hard work ethics and so all i knew is that if there's something you want in life no one no one's going to give it to you like no one looks out for you but you right and um you know no one has ownership over your life and then no one can want something more for yourself than you want it for yourself they won't like basically like it's dark as it sounds is like you're a lone wolf so you get what you give. Um, and so that was it. And when I was in sterilization and this was a new position, i was kind of like, well, what am I doing? Sometimes I'd finish like wrapping the instruments and I'd be like, what the heck do I do next? And I was always like, you know, asking people, what else can I do? How can I help you? where can I go? Uh, What can I organize? What can I clean? And then when people would be like, I don't know, you know, or everything's caught up, then I would start saying, okay, well, I can't, I don't want to stand around. I feel inauthentic making money, not participating or doing something. So I started then saying, let me do something where I believe I could add value. And so it was either reorganizing, deep cleaning things, uh, learning, um, shadowing the assistants in their positions, Um, part of that learning was, uh, setups, you know, they, they vary by doctor. And so I would say, Hey, I'm going to set up for your next patient. It added value to them because it kept them on time for their schedule, but it added value to me because I was learning how to be better prepared. If I were to get that opportunity to assist, to know what the setups were and and did I do it right? Or, or did I miss something? Um, I came in early a lot and, and did that learning as well. Um, and then when we talk about barriers, putting that, you know, so I had myself imposed, like, yes, I was driven to want to learn and to do more. I think it's just kind of in me. Um, But I also had that, like, you're a failure, something's going to go wrong. Like, you know, what if somebody, what if people, how would they judge me if they knew I dropped out of college? And how would they judge me if they knew um, I could have been more, you know, and I felt like if I didn't have that degree or higher degree, like I, like I had failed in life, you know, I was not ever going to be successful or make a big difference. And for me at that time, I felt like you, in order to make a big difference, you had to have a big role, Got you it. know, Got and it. as I've learned is that for the people that have made the biggest differences, and you think of the biggest names, they start with the smallest of gestures in their community, in their towns, in their homes. And, it's on the one-to-one level that then creates that change because you you work so much um, you amplify what you can do with your own hands through the work of other people. Right. And that starts in the one-on-one level. Right. Um, but I didn't know that, you know, then and on that time, so I was totally like feeling sorry for myself, <laughs> 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 lack of better word. That was what it was. Um, so yeah, I got then. Um, A few weeks later, I got the opportunity to be a dental assistant uh, with Dr. Miles Spodak, And when we jumped in there, I was like, okay, I went to dental assisting school, but I learned something like one time ever. Right. And then we moved on to the next. Right. So we walk into that room and I was like a deer in headlights. And so again, so he's sitting there and I'm almost in my head, like, okay, what do I do next? And he's talking to the patient. And we know when we talk to the patient, we just kind of listen and observe on, on what's happening. Well, I was like, I, I don't want him to think that I'm not working or not doing anything. So I would hold a, a two by two in my hand, like just in case he would decide like he needed like his mirror wiped or like something with like saliva. I don't even know. And so there was one time after me doing this, like several times for patients, he looked up at me and he goes, Erica, I'm not going to need that. <laughs> I'm like he was like, I'm not going to need that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this down. Because he probably was like, that's so creepy. Like, stop. Um, so anyways, um, it was funny. But I did have people in that. When, when I joined Spodak Dental, it was so different. We had a really, really small team at the time. Um, and this was really starting the um, transformation that Dr. Craig wanted to have for his own practice. And so the team at the time, I, I think more represented what an average office team and culture would be and and that's if you bring in somebody new you met them for the very first time in the first day you had no um ability to meet or no say and who was hired and brought onto the team uh and then what that does to the team is they kind of resent that new person like hey you're just bringing in this new fam- family member and i'm gonna i don't like them because i didn't have the opportunity to even decide if i wanted them um So I wasn't liked just for that. I, I went and ate my lunch in the car most days. Um, you know, I, the office manager at the time, um, she would tell me that uh, she was like a health net that I kid you not like, this is so wrong. And like, (laughs) so against everything we know about HR, but I didn't know at the time, but, you know, she was like, um, we don't eat, un- we don't eat unhealthy here. So if you decide to have something unhealthy, like you have, you can't eat it in this building. Like, what? Far. yeah. And I, again, so I'm literally like, here I am, like, you know, tw- like early twenties, like, Oh like Okay. You know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember when some team members would come in early for me and, and, you know, help me, help me out. Um, I would do like little things, um, I would bring them little things. Like I knew they, some of them liked the dark chocolate peanut M&Ms and I'd bring them a little bag or something like that. And I remember getting called in her office and her being like, um, yeah, no, you cannot bring in candy, you bring in the unhealthy thing. And I, I was just like, I can't win with this lady. Like instead of focusing on like, wow. wow, thanks for coming in off the clock on your own time to learn, train to be better. It was more of like, don't, don't do that thing. And so where I'm getting with this is that you know, your your typical, again, that office culture, a lot of times is just so focused on putting out the fires or on the things of what not to do. And we tend to miss all of the great things that are happening, which are oftentimes two to three to four times to one, the ratio, the things that need to be improved. And so what I learned in th- from that bad experience is what not to do if I were ever in that position, um, because it really is easy to do, especially when you're busy and you have a limited time, you know, in your day, is to constantly be like, "Don't do that, fix this, correct that," you know, go over here, um, and not focus on the special things that are happening in the practices. And so,
0: I I think that's a really good point. And I want to just pause for a second because you said you learned that for if you were ever in that position. And I want to make the point that, you know, not all of us are aspiring to be a practice director or an office manager, but I think there's value in that concept for all of us within the practice, because it, it, it does get easy. You know, dental professionals in general are typically pretty perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. Um, we want it all to go well. We need it all to go right. We're treating people, you know, in a medical manner, like it's got to all, you know, work well but I think all of us probably could Ooh, carry right. through. <laughs> all of us could yeah. probably carry through and look around for the good. And, and, you know, the positive that's happening because the danger there is if we're not careful for somebody who really has an interest in is trying and growing, we could stifle that, you know, you know, you're resilient enough to where you're like, okay, you know, that seems crazy and I'm going to carry this forward. But for some people who maybe haven't put themselves out there yet, it's important to just keep in mind like, hey, you don't want to stifle that. If you see somebody that's stepping forward in growth or opportunity or trying to support their team, support that. I think that's a really good point.
1: Yeah. And and thanks for pausing me there because I will say even at that time, I did not aspire to be an office manager in any way, shape or form. Again, so I was introverted. I also believed at that time that um, I wasn't a leader. There's no way I could be a leader. I had trouble um, getting enough guts to even speak up in huddles. Uh, I mean, when it was my turn to actually run a huddle, I, I mean, got, I like didn't even sleep the night before. I would like get teary eyed and a shaky voice thing, you know, if I would speak and it was in front of seven people. And really what that came from was not that I didn't have the skill set. It was just I was so self-conscious and so hard on the judgment of myself that going up there, I kind of felt like now I'm on the spotlight and they're going to see the real me. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't proud of it. Got it. At that time. Yeah. And so I'm going to keep checking my, my mascara as I start to look like Marilyn Manson here. <laughs> um, you know, um, so yeah and I think that it's also worth taking um you know a self audit of why it is that we have those emotions and so again it wasn't like my excuse is I'm an introvert and therefore I couldn't no it was I was so afraid of having people judge me and I didn't want to be that person that I wanted to hide right you know? Um, so it took a lot to break through that. And I had people, fortunately, you know, in my life and, um, some at the practice that really helped me with that. Dr. Craig, uh, one of them and, uh, Susie, she was our, uh, clinical team lead, uh, for many years until she moved to South Carolina. And, uh, so I think it's important that within that lesson, lesson that I learned is, Regardless of where people want to go in their careers and in their lives, you know, I want to help them as much as I can to help them get there, even if that's not within the practice, you know, like the um, life changes, like circumstances change. And the more that we help other people, the more they help us in return with the time that they have within that practice. And so I would much rather have somebody highly, highly engaged for six months because they're going on to hygiene school or they're going on somewhere else than I would that somebody's limping along for 10 years, you know, and just kind of like disengage or actively disengage. And, um, but also a little bit of it too, is because when I started to realize that, that mindset and what I was doing to myself, um, you know, I would kind of gravitate towards the people that were struggling the most because they said, you know, Um, I want them to know I have their back. Like, I want them to know that they have somebody here that believes in them. Um, Because a lot of times, like, that's all that it takes. is like for one person to say you have potential or I believe in you to help somebody get out of that mindset to say I am worthy of somebody believing in me. Yes. Um, So yeah, tears. I should have gotten the (laughs) the tissues out. Um, but, uh, so fast forward to being a dental assistant, um, I, I was Dr. Miles's Spodek's assistant. I'm, then I had, you know, had my son. Uh, so when I'm maternity leave and, um, beforehand, you know, we brought somebody on board and I trained her, um, to be Dr. Miles' assistant and I trained her so well, I replaced myself. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, which is honestly like the ultimate goal I I want to say again in a typical dental practice sometimes we fear um that somebody's going to come in and be better than us and replace us but ultimately if you are a leader or if you're aspiring to be one or you know um having people being better around you actually makes you better. Like you have to step up your game. They are going to influence and kind of put the pressure on you to say, These people are doing great things. Let me figure out how I can also continue to do great things. Like we don't want to stifle people in the practice so that we are the only great people, because then you get into the situation where. You can't go on vacation, you can't enjoy the time off that you have because you are literally the the, um, only person in the practice that is capable to handle the things that are going on and and it just doesn't give you long-term success and you can't amplify that, you know. So if you're somebody that's wanting to take on a higher role or maybe additional practices or, um, you know, new areas of growing in, in that department, growth does not happen with one person, you know, it just, it doesn't happen. It's not sustainable. Um, So uh, that was something else. It's like, you have to bring people on board. You have to help them be the best version of themselves. And and through the process, you become your best version of yourself. Um, So I became Dr. Craig Spodak's primary dental assistant. Um, At that time, he was like, so super scary to work with uh, because he was the owner, you know, of the practice. And I think that, um, it was like, if I messed up, I would be like, there goes my race. <laughs> you know, like I would be like, yeah, like yeah. he had the authority to affect that. He had the authority to hire, to fire, um, how much you made and all those things. So it was like even scarier working for him. Cause then again, I was like, oh my gosh, he may know of me. I'm a dental assistant, but now he knows my worth because I'm working with him. And what if he thinks I'm not worth what he's always known me to be, you know, and so that was just super scary and intimidating going in there. And some of the best advice that I had gotten from the one of the assistants there is that um, she says, you know, typically dental assistants are, are supportive roles, right? We do what we're told to do. We are followers. That is it. Um, we, we're, we suction and we clean up the rooms and we set up and that's our role. She goes, but what's different here and what what will help you and help you get to that worthiness with Dr. Craig is that he wants you to be more than that. He wants you to think as if you were the doctor, as if you were a co-provider. He wants to know that you have his back and that you understand what's going on. He gets nervous when he's around nervous people. Like he just feeds off of that energy. And so she goes, you go in there you tell him what we're doing don't have him tell you what to do you do it and so i'm like okay um i gotta figure out what that what that looks like so i would get to work early and i would work with the main um dental assistant and i would say okay here's my schedule for tomorrow here's what i'm thinking we have to do what am i missing like what is the process if we did big cosmetic cases right you know what are this what's the staging when do i bring the lab in what's the articulation you know like how do we maintain the vertical all these other different things and so i would come in and i would have my list written down off to the side and so we would sit down and he would get started and i said oh wait we got to take our our um, pre-op vertical measurement and he's like oh yeah shit, that was good you know this and then so he'd be like okay we're done for the day and I'm like, oh no, no we need the shade for the lab okay great and so then he started having more ease that i understood listen you don't have to remember everything. You don't have to know everything. You have somebody that's on your team that's co-collaborating that says, I've got your back. I understand what's happening. I want the best for the patient, just like you do. And I'm going to make sure that we are dismissing that patient when we are actually done. Um, And so that's when those things turned around um, for that is just, I started thinking differently. You know, I started taking that lead. Um, And so for assistants, we can, and a lot of times for the ones that are like the best are the ones that anticipate that move because they're thinking like the doctor, they're not thinking like the assistant. Um, so that would be my advice there. Start, start thinking like, the doctor anticipate as if you were in that position. And now you can become a mind reader. <laughs>
0: yes. Well, and I think, you know, we have, we have uh, something that we do. We, we have a phrase that we use at Atlanta Dental Spa from our hygiene team perspective is we try to set the doctor up so that when they come in for their exam, they just bobble head like, yep, Yep, everything they said. So it's that same mindset of setting up, anticipating, knowing what the doctor is going to be talking about, going ahead and educating the patient, showing them everything that's going on. And it is, it's that beautiful team collaboration work. And the patients feel that. The patients feel it if there's separation or there's stress or there's tension. Patients come to us because they want to be taken care of. So if we collectively as a team are hitting all cylinders and supporting one another and working together that's where the beauty comes in. And they really do feel taken care of and supported.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you on that. You know, um, part of part of my journey and, you know, evolving into being, um, you know, the the office manager at Spodak, when I went to Dr. Craig and told him that that was a position that I wanted... It was not office manager, okay? So I didn't ask for that. That's what I got, but that's not what I asked for. I actually was like, hey, I think that there's a need for somebody to bridge the gap between front versus back. You know, what is the coordination? And we, as we were growing larger and larger and larger as a team, like it was almost like two separate teams. We had two silos happening. Front was doing their things independently of back. And so I said, I kind of feel like we need like a quarterback, you know, somebody that can kind of then see everything from that, you know, 100 foot view and say, ah, here's how everything is coordinated together. This is the common purpose. This is the common goal. Um, So operations. And in my mind, what operations meant was strategic planning, communication, um, you know, integration, those types of things, not. Discipline, compliance, uh, you know, conflict resolution, all the emotional like stuff that you know that comes along with that. I wasn't expecting it, but I, I got it. Um, anyways, and that was actually really, really challenging for me in the beginning becoming um, you know, new office manager. Um I my personality by default, I do I do not like conflict and I do not like confrontation.
0: You and me both.
1: No, no. So now I'm putting this position where it's like, I have to keep my team accountable to following the rules. Like, that is the epitome of like confrontation. You know, like I had to do it every day, like multiple times a day. So you could imagine like early on, like my, oh my gosh, my stomach was just in knots, like constantly. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to have this conversation with this person. You know, it was transformative for me in those moments is that. What I've learned, um, people just like to know how to win, yes. right? And so the reason why we have rules and put into place, and in some of those rules is because we know that if you go against what the strategy is, that it brings us further away from what our mo- what, what our mission is. And so, if if someone's breaking the rules, if the rule is a valid rule, you know, um, it can actually harm them or their opportunity or the patient or the practice. And so I had to look at it differently. This isn't personal. I'm not coming to you to correct something because you're a bad person. Right. I'm coming to correct you because I believe in you and I want you to get to your career goals. And in order to get there, you have to tweak a couple of things. And so I just had to shift my mindset around what that was. And I think, um, people, people will always, believe and feel um, the energy that you're giving off in the room more so than the actual words that you're saying. I think I oftentimes I get questions that are like, what do you say to somebody when you have to correct them? And I'm like, it's not about what you say. It's how you say it and what you mean behind it. So if I'm correcting somebody and I say something, but like, I'm mad at them for breaking the rules, right. They're going to feel like, I let them, they let me down, um, they're in trouble, uh, you know, whatever this happens to be. And that's really not the result that we're trying to get to, you know, the result is that we're trying to get to, Hey, maybe they did something that compromised their safety and they got lucky that time. So, you know, the energy that I have around that is more of like, Hey, you know, I want to make sure that I walk you through this process because I don't want to see you get hurt. That's yeah. so much more different than me being angry because they did something where they could have potentially chopped their finger off, you know? Right, right. Both like a, the same like type of essence of conversation. It's just the belief behind it. I want you to be safe versus you're a dumbass. And right. you, know, you get a very right. different result when you frame it that way.
0: Yeah. Communication is so, so vital to everything we do all day long. And yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. You have to be very intentional. With how you do that, and I think if you will keep it success focused and practice focused and self, you know, protective focus that that goes a long way.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, um, with the the evolution of that of that position. So, right, I I dentistry found me started as a sterilization assistant, then became a, a dental assistant, then I was uh, a dental team lead, dental assistant team lead. And, um, and then now practice optimizers, the official title for, you know, director of operations or office manager, whatever else title we want to name that. And um, every reiteration of myself to get me to those levels, like I had to accept shedding that old me. Um, But part of that acceptance is to admit that The things I I was doing needed to change because they were wrong, right? A lot of times we resist change because we don't, it's hard psychologically to say I'm wrong. Like I, you know, if you're married, like, you know, all about that, like, um, you, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be wrong, but changing is, um, unconsciously or like subconsciously, um, you having to admit to say, what I'm currently doing is wrong and I have to change it to be something different or to get something different. Right. Um, and that's a hard concept, you know, that you have to do and you have to shed in. So, um, sometimes how I'll like kind of walk myself through this process when I hit like that, that, that wall or that, um, that moment where I'm like, I'm going to give up or this isn't worth it. Or, you know, I've been working really, really hard. I'm not seeing results. Um, you know, as I have to say, it's persistence perseverance, yes. But if I'm not where I want to be, it's probably because I haven't fully given up who i who I am and who I need to be. Um, I didn't fully let go of the old me yet, and that's why i'm I'm not there. Um, so, yeah, I know that went really super
0: psychological and deep, but um, well, no, I think that's a really good point because what what I was gonna say is one of the things I really love about your story, is that obviously a good bit of your barriers were self-imposed and, you know, some of the other limitations were, or boundaries were more set up by others. I know um, you haven't mentioned it, but I know from your story that when you first went to Dr. Craig and were like, Hey, I'm kind of interested in being this liaison. And, you know, he was like, no, 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 not yet. Let's give it five years. So that was kind of a, you know, a barrier put on you by somebody else, but you face two very different types of barriers and you clearly have overcome both. Um, And I know you would probably say to me, my journey's not over yet because none of ours are. We never arrive. It's always a work in progress. But did your strategies look different for those two aspects? And did you find any like dovetailing where what you did for one thing addressed the other? Or what what have you found for that?
1: Yeah. So the internal stuff, you know, that was a lot of me. Um, being okay with understanding I had flaws and I had to work on me. So I did a lot of reading. I love to read. And, um, you know, so I love to go to Barnes and Noble. But now, now that I have a family and kids and all these, you know, really work demands in life, uh, I actually do audiobooks on my commute to and from work um I am the type of person that's like hey if if that barrier comes in my way well I'm going to keep trying to figure out do I hop it is there a fence can I go around it can I that like what am I going to do to try to make sure that this barrier like no one should ever tell you what you are allowed to achieve period the end
0: Yes. You know, like,
1: don't let someone choose your life for you. And so when you do get those external forces that come in, don't allow that person to make that choice for you. It's not theirs to make. Um, so the internal stuff, yes, I, I, I learned on, um, you know, how to better communicate. Um, one of the books that I love by John Maxwell, it's called great leaders ask great questions. And, um, and that's beautiful because it really helps you in the psychology. Drop the assumptions, drop the judgments of your team or the situation, so that you can actually get to the root of the problem or 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 get to a better solution um, in a more elegant and graceful way. So that was that was one of those um, understanding business. I did a lot of reading um, books on that. Um, Patrick, that David is great for um, business resources. Uh, really love his stuff. Um, Simon Sinek is really great for leadership type uh, readings um john maxwell has a ton so even more books beyond the one that i i named there um and then obviously i mean the bulletproof podcast the hygiene podcast like these are all great resources. it touches on all of those different subjects so the external ones um were different and the strategy is different especially if you have somebody that's above you or say in this instance the practice owner that was like my foot is down it's my practice you're the employee and that's what it is um that is a harder one to navigate and so, um, yes, I wasn't upset in that moment. I did feel defeat. Um, and as I kind of stood on that, that night, you know, into that evening, um, I kind of had like my own aha moment and that was, okay, well, what if he said yes to my request, what would I be doing differently walking into the doors that next morning? And so I realized I'm like, wow, you know, honestly, if I walked in those doors the next morning, I would be doing the exact same thing. You know, I don't even know. I don't even know what this would look like. And so um, I now had a new set of like, this is what I need to get done, um, or this is what I need to learn in order to get to this next level, because I, I really wasn't ready. And so it took me three years um, to get to that point. Also, um, leadership is, um, it's not a position, it's not a title. It's just kind of, it's who you are. And so when you're trying to affect change, um, you can do that regardless of having an official position or a title. So that was why I wanted it. I just wanted things to change for the better. You know, um, I wasn't looking for the authority to, make a decision to let someone go or to say you have to follow the rules because it's me and I get to tell you what to do. It's no, I am here to add value to the practice to add value to you so that we can get to our ultimate goal and the results, which is to take the very best care of the patient. And so I just started doing some of those things that I thought would help and add value. Um, cause who can say no to that? You know, like if I'm saying, Hey, let's do more Invisalign cases. Let's do more candid cases. Let's do whatever it is. I want to generate more revenue for the practice. Why would he say no? You know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that if you don't have the official title or position, so what, um, you get the title and the position by being the leader first, by showing your results first, then that comes after it. And, um, so yeah, that would be my advice is just to kind of continue as if you owned it, um, or, or think about it. If I had it tomorrow, what would I need to do? What would I need to know?
0: Yeah. So I love that. And I want to take it just a little bit further because you get to direct the practice of how many, how many team members do you guys have in total?
1: We're close to 50 now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, and I know you're kind of the, the, the go-to for all of that. So that's, that's a, that's a lot to maneuver. Um, and I know you do a lot of conversations, you know, when team members come to you asking, you know, sharing ideas and thoughts and Hey, could we do this? And so I think you're a great person to ask this question to because again, like I said, in the beginning, I think a lot of hygienists. Um, in your kind of average run-of-the-mill practices do feel a little handcuffed about what they can say and what they can do. And, you know, you said, you know, the, the owner or the doctor is like, I'm just putting my foot down and you're, we're not doing this. You know, that's a really uncomfortable place to be, especially when you're passionate about what you do. Um, so I would love if you could share a little advice with our listeners that are looking to have conversations aimed at bringing change. And You know, and from a hygiene perspective, more things like, you know, hey, if we want to onboard something new, you know, or set a new protocol or, you know, just discussing personal concerns or conflict, you know, how to to bring that or even just wanting to, you know, discuss a change in compensation, you know, from your perspective, because we can see it so clearly from our perspective. And I know and I hope that you're going to include the whole business mindset owner concept here. But where do you think? What advice do you give on how to come with those kind of requests and questions?
1: Yeah. So each request is a little different, but Mm -hmm. I think the principles are the same. Yes. So whatever it is that you're wanting to effectively change, why? That is the very, very, very first thing. I think a lot of times, most of us skip to the how and the what. So like if I'm coming and I'm saying, we need to do peri-protect. Okay. You know, so I'm looking, we just need to add this procedure. And maybe the doctor owner, the reason why they're like, no, is because they're saying that's going to take work and I'm going to have to figure out how to do this. And I'm going to create a code, you know, so maybe the objection of the barrier it is has nothing related to you or the thing you're wanting to add. They're just not understanding the why, or they're perceiving that they're going to have to now own integrating or incorporating this into the practice. And so very first thing is you have to have, Hey, here's, why I would like to change or to do these things. Here's how I am going to help integrate, incorporate, and uh, you know, include into the process. So you're you are now fully taking responsibility to say, "I got this." Like right. I want to make this happen. So you you I'm going to be on auto. You know, you're an autopilot. I'm going to be the one here um, driving the plane. Um, you also wanna include if it's applicable, like benefits to adding whatever it is um, and include those. How is it benefiting the patients? How is it benefiting the team? How is it benefiting the practice? Let's take a look at that. Um, when you talk about like bringing concerns to, to your doctor and that's a little bit different. I, um, You have to drop the, um, emotions that you have around the situation. Because when you come in with a negative heated energy, it will be met with negative heated energy. And so you have to come in and you have to say, okay, I just don't have enough information. And I just I just wanna understand what's happening first. And then we can get to a solution. So I'm gonna to go to the doctor with a concern. The very first thing I'm gonna say is, hey, I'm just curious. Can you walk me through the decision behind this? Can you talk me a little bit more why we're doing the things that we're doing? I just want to understand so that I can kind of help wrap my head around this, right? Then once they give you all the information, sometimes it was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that problem solved. Or now that you know it, then you can say, ah, I got it. Here's a couple of solutions I have. So we never want to come in and drop a complaint and then leave, you know, because it, It does nobody any good. And again, so negative energy in, negative energy out. Um, Understand why, come prepare with solutions. Um, You know, You wanna be a part of the problem solving. When it comes to compensation. So again, thinking like a business owner. So in our own lives, we are running our own households. That is our business, right? So we get income that comes in, that's our paycheck. And then we have expenses, gas, food, schooling books, clothes, fun stuff, experiences. Now the amount that we can spend on the expenses is directly dependent on the income. So again, separate business with your normal life, right? And we understand that concept, but for some reason, sometimes we walk into a business, we just think that it's like a money tree growing outside. you know it's all dependent on the income that you have. Coming in. And again, so if I have a certain amount of money coming in, I can't spend 100% of that money on just food because then I don't have rent and water and all the other stuff that goes along with it. There's certain percentages that we can allocate um, that income to the expense. Same thing with the business. Um, And I hope I'm not speaking super above anybody's heads in this moment, but with hygiene compensations in particular what is it that you are collecting for the practice now we have production we have collection so production is the amount of money we say the procedures are costing what the patient actually pays is the actual money that's hitting the bank so production money is like almost like monopoly money it's not real uh, until it's collected so what's hitting the bank that's the money we can we can base our expenses on so I would start what are your collections get a handle on what your numbers are because that's what the business owner is going to do before he reviews the compensation he's going to take a look at the numbers or she and so uh, what are your collections and i would do the the more narrow the search the less accurate it is the you know the more information that you have the better the the full picture that you're going to have so if you do one month right well, you could have a fantastic month or a really bad month. Right. You know, what is like your three-month runway? Like, what is that average? That's going to give you a better idea of what you're doing and how you're performing overall. So, I would come with that three-month collection average. Um, in dentistry, there is a, a, a range for hygiene compensation, and that could be anywhere between twenty-five um, percent to thirty-three percent of collections. Now, there's a big range, and the range is because it also depends on um, the equipment, the amenities that you have for the practice, the benefits, the practices um, are providing to those team members um, and so forth. So um, that percentage isn't straight compensation. That percentage is for the hygiene department and it functioning and running. So um, that's why there's there's that, that swing in that range. Um, so you can take a look at it and let's say for ease of, of numbers, um, $90 for a procedure is collected. Let's say 30% is that magic number. So $30 for that 90 minute appointment goes to the hygienist. Okay. Um, so let's say, um, 90 minute or $90 appointment, but we only collect 50, right? Cause it was an insurance patient. If you're hourly, still goes to the hygienist. So it throws that percentage kind of out of whack and out of wonk. So um, it's hard to conceptualize without writing it down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. But um, if I were to go to, going to go in and ask for like a dollar or two more, I would just make sure that my collections are increasing proportionate to the amount that I'm asking in return. It has to be win-win. So it can't just be good for me. It has to be good for the practice. And so you always go in and say, hey, the reason why I'm asking for more is because I'm adding more value. It isn't because I have sat in the same chair every day for the, for the same year, and I'm collecting the same why would you get paid more time does not equal more value results equals more value so how are you better educating the patient what is your procedure mix what is your treatment acceptance what is your ability to also close restorative cases like all of the, those things uh, can help you successfully negotiate more money because the practice is making more
0: yes so yes. that's the spirit behind that. that. And that's beautiful. And I think, you know, especially new hygienists starting out, we don't always think of the big picture. You know, we, we look at our, you know, we may track our numbers and be like, oh, I'm doing really well. And, you know, I should, I should get paid more, but we, we don't always have that business ownership mindset of thinking what the expenses are of the practice in general. And, you know, there, there's so many ways to look at it. Um, but I think what you said is really valuable. And, and this is what I want to call our listeners to because sometimes you hear everything you just said and you're like, oh my gosh, that sounds overwhelming looking at all those numbers and thinking about all that. But you're right. I mean, we if we're going to ask for increased value for ourselves, we have to be bringing increased value. So the challenge is for those listeners who maybe aren't really tracking their numbers and don't really know what case acceptance looks like and what their perio treatment percentage is and what their collections are looking like, This is an important time to start looking at that because what I can guarantee you is if you start looking at that and paying attention to that those numbers are going to come up. So don't hear this and get like oh gosh overwhelmed I don't, I don't know how to do this I don't want to look at all this. Um, Dive in and start looking because when you start paying attention, what we focus on is what grows. So if, you know, if you're in that place of, hey, I'm really wanting to, you know, ask for compensation, start tracking your numbers and looking at those, you will see them start to raise, you'll get more aware of what you're doing and more intentional about that. And it will benefit everyone across the board. Yeah, I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and there's no harm in asking for help either. So go to your office manager and say, hey, can you show me how to run these numbers? or go to that that practice owner, whoever is a part of of determining the compensation and say, what is it that you look for when you determine compensation increases? Now you know how to win, right? And I love that. If someone came to me and says, what do you you look for when you're trying to determine to increase compensation? So then I can say, you know, whatever those things are. And that person now says, now I have my marching orders, I'm going to do it. So we're not having to guess. And I think for anybody that isn't a hygienist, maybe there are practice leaders or practice owners listening, my advice would be, how well are you communicating to your team on how they can win? Do they even know how they can add value to the practice? Because the more they understand that, the more that they can then walk the walk, right? Because they know like, here's the goalpost. I know exactly how to get there and I can help the practice win and continue to grow.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. So Erica, I just think that you have the most beautiful story of working your way from entry level to practice director and I think that brings such a unique perspective that is just so valuable to us and I feel like as we're having this conversation, I'm like, oh, we're going to have Erica back again soon, because I would love to pick your brain a little more about conflict resolution. You have just such a beautiful way of communicating through that. And I think that's something we all can constantly grow and learn in. So we're definitely going to have Erica back again. I This has been really valuable to me today. And I'm so appreciative of your time, um, your passion for what you do, your expertise, and Just this beautiful, self-made woman you are, Um, I would argue that you were worthy before any of this started, um, but you have definitely increased your value thousandfold with all that you've learned. And part of that to me is what's so beautiful is you are so open to growth. You know, like you said, you are open to change and realizing that, hey, what I was doing wasn't working. Let's change that. And I just think, you know, there, there's a lot of room for that in, in the world these days. So thank you for being the leader on that front. Um, and thank you for spending your time with us today. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. And you know what, uh, when I'm on next
0: time, I will wear waterproof mask. <laughs> I was thinking that. I love it. You make a beautiful Mar- Marilyn Manson. I mean, come oh, on. I mean, okay. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening this week. And um, you know, if you have any questions about anything else, please don't hesitate to reach out on their mighty network. It's a free app you download on your phone and just search bulletproof hygiene. Um, I've got good connections with Erica. So if you have questions, we can get you connected to her, but everybody have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.